today you are in for a real treat because we have one of our star clients, Jody Pink at Friends Academy, who's here to talk about lessons learned from her campaign. Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, Andrea Kilstedt and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of Capital Campaign Pro, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. Here are your hosts, Amy and Andrea. Hi, I'm Amy Eisenstein. I am here today without my colleague, Andrea Kilstead, but instead we have a very special guest, Jody Pink, who is the Development Director at Friends Academy, and she is here to tell us all about her campaign and some of her lessons learned. So welcome, Jody. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Would you start out by telling people a little bit about your campaign, what you're raising money for at the Friends Academy, what your working goal is, and how it's going so far? Sure, happy to. So we began our campaign in the sort of early 2022. I think we began working with you guys in December of 2021. And our campaign, uh, we it, it was born out of our strategic plan, which had gotten a little put on hold during the COVID years. And then we revisited it in the um, winter of 2021. We had three main focuses coming out of our strategic plan. One was to work on our academic program and our curriculum. One was to um, figure out ways we could bolster faculty and staff compensation and support. And one was to deal with a facility that needed some help. And that was our middle school building, which was really in need of some updating. It had been about 35 years since the building was constructed and the building was actually constructed to be a lower school. But the middle school has existed in that space ever since it was built. Uh, and, you know, it still had toilets for kindergartners, not for sixth, seventh and eighth graders. It had some fundamental flaws that we needed to address. So yes. those were sort of our three issues. We were able to internally address the programmatic portion of our strategic plan. And then we really needed to turn to things that required funding. And those were, what were we going to do about faculty and staff compensation? And could we raise money to renovate the middle school? Um, we were able to renovate our lower school 13 years ago, and it's really served us well, and it, uh, is mission aligned, and it made a radical difference. And it was time for the middle school to get that same sort of update. So that's what we started at. Uh, we did simultaneously fundraising for an endowment for a faculty and staff compensation endowment while also raising money for the middle school. Our middle school project, I remember when we first talked about it with you guys, we had a, a very intensive timeline, which broke every campaign sort of rule, but we were going for it. So we did the sort of fast tracked and almost all of our energy went to that middle school project when we began working with you guys doing pre-campaign planning really in January of 2022. Great. Okay. So excellent. So it's been just about two years. So tell us, right? Two years or three years? No, it's less than that. Maybe I'm getting my dates wrong. So we began, we started feasibility in May of 22. Okay. 
All right. So it's been a year and a half. It's been a year and a half. It's only been a year and a half. All right. And the project's done. Wow. That is amazing. All right. So that's why you're one of our star clients, right? (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about the working goal and how it's going so far. Okay. So our working goal was approximately $2.5 million to renovate the middle school. The building itself was a great like footprint of space and had plenty of space. It just needed to be reconfigured. And so we have kids that the middle school lives inhabits that space. So we really had a very short window. So we needed to raise all that money so that we could renovate the building over the summer. We didn't have sort of a, a timeline that had any flexibility. We didn't have enough money raised to begin construction in June. We were going to have to wait for a full another year, which we didn't want to do. And have you done it? Yeah, yeah, the building, yes, the building, it's done, it's over. Oh right. my gosh. So, so of course, listeners want to know, you know, not that I recommend fast tracking a campaign for most organizations, but, you know, you did have existing relationships. These were parents and grandparents and families of the school. So it's not like you were going out and searching for completely new donors. So the relationships existed, which of course helps in a situation like this. But why don't you share one or two factors that you think made this campaign so successful? That's a great question. So I I think there were a couple of things that really helped us. One, I think the case for support was compelling. The, The, you know, during our feasibility study, we started taking people at the end of our interviews on tours of the building. And when they actually got in to see the building, it sort of made the case itself. And so I remember I sat in feasibility with someone who said, you know, the building is not important. It's the people in the building. And of course that is true. And they were like, there's no, we, we don't support this kind of capital improvement. And then on the way out, I was like, oh, let's just take a quick walkthrough. And we walked through the building. And as we exited, that same person said to me, I would like to change my answer to that question. (laughs) That facility is not okay. And they, in fact, made a major gift to that construction project. But, you know, even our brochure and our working draft statement that we handed them, that wasn't going to do it. They needed to physically be in the space. And that sort of, that was actually the first time I walked someone through and everyone thereafter got walked through that facility after feasibility, if their timing allowed. It really did make the case. I mean, the building had no insulation, the toilets froze in the winter. There were fundamental problems people could really sort of wrap their heads around. Yeah. Um, so that certainly helped. So a strong uh, case, right? We a, had a strong case. Strong case. Right. We were not trying to do something that would be nice, but wasn't needed. It was really needed. We also have a school here for, uh, we have a program for students with language-based learning differences, which is an integral part of our academic experience. It's it's completely mission aligned and it's on a wait, almost every grade is always on a wait list. There's a massive need for the program. And one of the big things that we needed to address was that our middle school building was one classroom shy to have all of those students in that facility. And that was a huge case for support. I mean, any parent whose child or past parent whose child went through that program who during the middle school years had to be outside of the middle school building wanted to make sure that that problem was fixed. So that was a key selling point too. And now I forgot even what the question was that you asked me. 
<laughs> well, that's all right. I think you answered it. You mentioned feasibility study and let's let's segue there. So as you know, and as some of our listeners may know, our feasibility study model is different than many other consultants in that we have you, the leaders of the organization, doing the interviews. Now we prepare you, we teach you, we train you, we help you select interviewees and identify the questions and collect the data and make recommendations. So we do everything else that most consultants do, but the one key difference is that you're in the room interviewing your donors. So I'm curious how that went for you and why you selected our model, if you can remember. I am confident that that money we spent on the feasibility study was the most important thing that we did for our entire campaign. There is nothing that comes close to us making that decision to do guided feasibility. That was the number one key thing in helping us have success in this campaign. I have no doubt about that. Amazing. Tell us, tell tell us why. So all of the feasibility interviews, I went to probably 95% of the feasibility uh, interviews and I took the notes. I was not supposed to speak at the meetings because I had all the relationships with people and what I, I was supposed to take notes and me not speaking is a challenge, but I sort of <laughs> succeeded, sort of did it. Okay. And the feasibility and the questions were read, were done by either our board chair or the head of school. I think having the board chair and the head of school for us at those meetings was critical to the success of the campaign because I think it meant a lot to the donors. Yes. And I think it was also very informative for them. And for how they moved forward. So the board chair and the head of school, I think it was equally important for both groupings. And then my role there was sort of the, uh, I was there for like the good humor and the <laughs> keeping it like light and moving along, right? Okay, great. Um, I love that. So that was one thing. Number two, we met with our consultant weekly, I believe during that portion. And um, it really kept us moving. It was sort of like, you have these goals, it must happen, or you're going to have this phone call and you're going to have to be like, oh, I didn't get my homework done, which mm. is embarrassing in and of itself. I think that, so we started feasibility. Our first one was May of 2022. And we were pretty much done by July of 2022. And I think we did something like 23 interviews. So not, I know there are some organizations that do a ton more, but we did about 23, give or take. Right. Um, but for the size of your organization and the size of your campaign, that's perfectly appropriate. So that we did them in an eight week window. Right. Um, and then we presented to the board in August. And like the report we presented was uh, amazing. I mean, again, our consultant was fantastic and right. helped put the presentation together. I think I, I, I actually can see myself. I was away. I was actually in at my in-laws over the <laughs> summer in Wisconsin. And we were on Zoom working on this presentation that was going to be given to the board right. in August of 2022 to see if we were going to move forward. So in August, we presented to the board. And in June, the construction started. Everything from the questions we asked to how we were going to ask the questions to the data we collected, I, I cannot imagine doing it another way. And I also think, you know, we work with limited resources and limited staffing here. And while we're not in feasibility right now, the lessons we learned from meeting with those people 
during that study have sort of informed practice moving forward just for like good stewardship and, you know, major gift giving always. The answer is we loved it. Yes, I didn't even tee that up. I mean, honestly, Jody, that's what we find with client after client after client. You're such an amazing example of it. But truthfully, that's what the feasibility study model that we're using does. It gets the leaders in the room with their potential donors. It tees up the ask. I mean, that is why you were able to successfully raise the money so quickly because you were doing cultivation effectively in the feasibility study process. You were having pre-ask conversations during feasibility as opposed to having an outside consultant in the room. Your board chair, your your head of school learned so much and then were able to go out and make those asks in, in the next few months in the near future. So- Thank you. I'm so thrilled that you had such amazing results. So I'm curious, you know, what what was a big challenge that you faced during your campaign? Because everybody faces challenges. And how did you overcome it? So I think the biggest challenge was that we did not quote unquote staff up for this campaign. It was, okay, Jody, you're going to do your regular job that you did, you do every year. And then you're going to do this on top of your mm regular job and we need it done in 10 months. Right. Um, so I think that was the biggest challenge, but it wasn't in hindsight, it really wasn't just me. I, I worked so closely with the head of school and the board chair for the whole way through. I sort of had to like, you know, I was always the one making all the appointments and sort of shepherding it along, but they, without full commitment, it would not have happened. But the hardest thing was doing my typical, my regular job on top of this. So are, did you have any strategies? What did you do? How did you make that happen? I mean, did you just work twice as many hours? Or I did what not happened? work twice as many hours. Oh, no, good. No, I did not. Um, I think that we just sort of booked sort of important time blocks into everyone's schedule. So I, I was very fortunate. We, we really need to take a moment for the board chair as well, who did not, was obviously not an employee of the school, but was here as much as an, any other employee of the school. And she really did her part to make this campaign happen. So on her calendar and on the head of school's calendar, I would typically block four hours a week where they could, weren't going to make any other appointments. And I could you know, make feasibility appointments then, or we could sit down and talk about strategies for the coming week and what the asks were going to be. And if I didn't need that time, I would just remove it from their calendars. But it was blocked off sort of do not commit to anything else during this time. In fact, now I actually miss that because now that we're sort of done with this portion of the campaign, it's back to being harder to to do some of that. But during the um, campaign, I had their I did have their full attention which helped. Wow. Four hours a week. I love that. And just completely blocked sacred time. This is for campaign work. Excellent. And so while you didn't staff up, you it sounds like you did have a full-time volunteer working on the campaign in your board chair. And so I think you know, to me, the lesson learned for listeners is that you do need to staff up in some way. It could be a volunteer. The role could be filled by a volunteer. In your case, it was. Um, but you do need more hands on deck for a for a campaign. And you were lucky to have that amazing board chair fill that role. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, if we could have afforded, I mean, I, I can easily make the case why getting extra help would have helped our situation. That yeah. just wasn't a feasible option for us. Right. Okay. All right. Excellent. So I'm wondering if you can identify one lesson learned that you would share with listeners from early in the phase or uh, early in the campaign, I should say, or, you know, something you wish you knew early on that you know now. I have a couple of things and I might be a little disjointed here, but every time I felt like really down about how it was going or like, we're never going to make this goal that we need to by this date, something would like pop up unexpected. And it was like, oh, this was the pleasant surprise we needed. So we had certain benchmarks we had to hit to be able to keep the fundraising train going and the, you know, architect and contracting train. So we wanted to have 80% of our goal raised by December of 2022. So if we had 80% of the money pledged by December of 22, we were still moving forward. And I can remember, I mean, uh, like I look back at it, you know, we go on break like December the 16th. I, I, I think my youngest son got bar mitzvah on December the 17th to like throw a little extra in for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was touch and go. And then in that week prior, we ended up at like 86% of the goal raised by the 20, by December of 2022. And you know, at the beginning of December, I would have said that was impossible. So every time I felt sort of down something, there was always like a pleasant surprise. So I think that was one thing. Number two, I had something I really just wanted to say, and I totally forgot what it was. Well, let me ask you about those pleasant surprises and maybe it'll come back to you. So do you think it was just magical luck or do you can you pinpoint things that had happened to make those pleasant surprises a reality? But I don't want you to forget your thought so, again. So go ahead. The researcher, just let me just say researcher, and I'll we can start. Okay. Back. Okay. Um, I think the pleasant surprises were all. We had a lot of people in feasibility who were reluctant to necessarily qualify what their gift was going to be. So, you know, I, if I circle back to feasibility, I had a lot of people who literally made their pledge at the end of the feasibility study. And they were like, we're going to give this. So I had that. Um, Or people were like, we're going to think about it, but we're reluctant to sort of go to the the chart that we had made. And we did the ballpark. So it wasn't even like a, they weren't even willing to put a a stake in the ground in a range, forget like a number. (laughs) Right. So they were certainly people that we had been stewarding and working with. And I had a sense of what they could do, but they had not necessarily given us an indication. And a couple of them came in, you know, as on the higher end of what I was most hoping for. Um, Excellent. So, That's because the case was so compelling. The case was so compelling, yes. And probably because you had done such a thorough job in feasibility, cultivating them. Now, I do want to clarify for listeners. So you said that some people at the end of the feasibility study interviews were ready to pledge or made their pledges. Now, I just want to make sure that everybody is very clear. You were not asking for gifts or pledges in the feasibility study interviews. But as it happens, some people are just so excited that they go ahead and do that anyway, right? Yes, I think that's that might be just like a sort of like quirk to where we are and who we are. And I think it made some of our people feel, some of our um, donors feel more comfortable just to like make that commitment now. And some people we circled back to because 
there was other conversations we could be having with them. Um, and that wasn't very common, but it does happen. It happens in the guided feasibility study. You know, nobody's asking for gifts. And yet sometimes people are so excited. We do find early commitments and early gifts coming in. In addition to that, it's also not unusual for people not to want to give gift indications as you as you shared. And so that's perfectly normal, too. And we do encourage people to give us their ballpark range, as you said, you know, in the hundred thousand dollar range or the million dollar range or whatever the ranges are. And, you know, sometimes there are smaller ranges than that. Anyways. All right. Great. Now you wanted to talk about researcher. So. But we had never used a researcher before. I do have a sort of donor wealth screening tool in my database, but I had never used a researcher before. And we sort of got on that a little bit late. We are not typically making major gift asks in the $100,000 range. That is not something that we do on an annual basis. I found a lot of comfort in the knowledge the researcher gave us so that if I was asking someone to consider partnering with us on making a gift of $100,000, $50,000, at least I knew that was in the realm of possibility. And they had every right to say no, or we can't do that. But I found it for me personally, very, it sort of brought my own stress level down. And that the number wasn't necessarily just like picked from the sky or based on conjecture on what we thought someone could do. It was based on some research. So we are actually continuing to um, utilize the researcher moving forward just because it was so helpful to us in practice. And I I wish we had done that earlier. I wish I'd been doing that for years. Excellent. Oh my gosh, that is so helpful to know. That's great. I'm sure that is super helpful for our listeners. All right, I have another question. So at Capital Campaign Pro, one of the supports that we provide to clients is a weekly group peer support type of call. And I know you came to some of those. Can you talk a little bit about why you showed up, what those did for you? Were they helpful and why? Yeah, when we were in the like heat of the campaign and you know the stress was really there, it was definitely helpful to hear other people's stories and what they were what some of their challenges were and successes were. I mean, the campaigns range, we are definitely on the smaller side of a campaign for what I think people often are using you guys for. And I always felt a little bit like, oh, I was, you know, we're like, our, our campaign goal is tiny, but for us, our campaign goal was huge. Yes. Um, and so it is relative. It's not, you know, our 2.5 million was going to be a real stretch for us to get there. And it was just nice to sort of have a, a group of people every week who were going through the same things. And we sort of all started at, I think when we started, we were all at the same point of like, most of us were in pre-campaign planning. Yeah. And then we went on like steroids fast. Um, <laughs> and- yes. Well, that's interesting. But did you find that the challenges that people were facing, whether they were raising $10 million or $2 million or $50 million, that most of the challenges that everybody was facing were more or less the same? Yeah, give or take. Yes, it's all it's all proportional, but absolutely. I mean, the, the same problems come up and it's nice to sort of have people give you ideas. Later on in the year, there were more schools on the call. And, you know, schools are definitely an interesting, like sort of subset of fundraising, um, just because uh, most of us know our current parents so well or 
whatnot. That was also really nice to sort of hear people with the same types of challenges come up every week. I, I, I went almost weekly during the like very intensive portion of our, our fundraising, awesome. which was really from like May started feasibility to spring break to March. May to March was when we really did it. Right. For just about a year. Just under just a year. year. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. So for for people who aren't familiar with our services, you know, of course you met one-on-one with your campaign advisor, your campaign consultant, but also we provide these weekly group peer support calls. And you know, what I find is that people learn from other people's questions, they didn't even know to ask the questions. And that's the, where the learning really happens. Other people call them their fundraising therapy. You know, come check in, understand that you're not the only one in this situation. So I'm glad that was a good experience for you as well. All right. Any final thoughts that you would share with um, listeners about lessons learned or advice that you have in terms of their campaign and preparing for a campaign? I really thought our campaign couldn't be done. So while I didn't say that necessarily publicly, I was like, there is no possible way we can raise $2.5 million in 10 months. I, not a, like, We didn't even have an architect hired until October. <laughs> um, so I never like publicly stated that, but I certainly said that at my dinner table at home. And it can be done, I think, like some of the, you have to know your organization, know your donors, know that some of the campaign rules, like your organization might be a little different. Like you have to really sort of figure it out. Like it's all guidelines and you have to figure out how to make it work for you. Our advisor was so great and helped us sort of like figure out what sort of points we could skip over and what we really needed to spend some time digging into and helped us work with who we were and the sort of time constraints that we had. But you need people to have real buy-in at the top. So there's no way I could have done it alone. I only could do it because of our board chair and the head of school, putting the time in that needed to be put in to make Mm. it happen. Yeah. Great. I love that. Well, Jody, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I think there's so many great lessons learned that you shared and congratulations on an amazingly successful campaign. I am so thrilled that Capital Campaign Pro could play a small part in helping you guys be successful. So thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, visit CapitalCampaignPro.com. And please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you.